Much has been said about the need for leaders to have the right mindset. And today we're going to talk about ways that we can make that shift and look at the ways you as a leader can be in the right frame of mind, find the right pillars of understanding and improve your own effectiveness. We'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I am your host, Doug Thorpe, and today we are going to talk about leadership, mindset, making some shifts, doing some things. And I got to tell you, in the crazy volatile world we've been in and the roller coaster ride we've been on in the last 24 to 36 months, leadership is at a premium, folks. Uh, the world is in dire need of good, solid leaders to stand up, fill the gap, provide direction and um, purpose for organizations of all types and sizes. Today, I've got a fellow coach, author, and expert on the, this subject of leadership mindset. Her name is Emily Sander. And Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, she is phoning in from Lakeland, Florida, and uh, enjoying nice Florida weather, I take it. Uh, <laughs> That's at right. Least for, at least until four o'clock in the afternoon, right? When it, when it always rains. That's right. That's right. It's it's May as of recording, so in a few months, it'll it'll be gross for about six weeks. But other than that, Florida is beautiful. Yeah, you bet. It really is. I uh, love going there and uh, don't get to stay there enough, but uh Anyway, uh, Emily, before we kind of dive into the heart of the subject, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you've uh, made your pathway to, to this place and time. Certainly. Well, career-wise, I started um, at Microsoft and Amazon, so two small companies you may have heard of, and I was on the uh, first testing team for the very first Kindle device. And so that was before anyone knew what that was. And it's been a lot of fun to watch that grow and expand. And then I had a sequence of working at small to medium technology-based businesses. And that's where I cut my teeth into people management, leading teams, uh, scaling departments globally, uh, rising to the executive levels and all of those things. Um, I, I served as chief of staff um, at uh, the height of my career. And I also became uh, an executive coach. And that was several years ago. And the genesis of that was I have taken a, an aggressive self-improvement approach for myself. And when I looked back at my various roles in the corporate world, I really loved working one-on-one -on -one with folks to get them to the next level of their career, or maybe it was the next level of their confidence and something they didn't think they could do. And so once I found coaching, and that was a thing you can do as a profession and get paid for it, I said, sign me up. So I've been doing that for uh, several years and love every minute of it, but that's what I'm doing today. Well, that's great. And it is a, a, a wonderful joy as I can relate to the opportunity to take your experience and uh, kind of repackage it in a way that can be effective for helping others grow their awareness of some leadership principles and ideas. And I, I've got to ask before we get too far, and this may well be part of the whole story, but 
your graphics behind you there. Uh, tell us a little bit about, I'm, I'm guessing that's some sort of training model that <laughs> you rely on. Yes, they're the elements of success. So there's things like greatness, mindset, vision, legacy, hustle, et cetera. And they're in the format of the periodic table of elements. So um, I saw that I thought it was a really neat take on that. And so I said, that's that needs to be my background. So that's what I have behind me. So when I'm working with clients, they have that in mind. And it also reminds me of those elements as well. I love that. And, and for those of you that are just listening in via audio, uh, there's a really neat graphic backdrop uh, behind Emily in her studio there. And like she said, it's it's the letters that look like the uh, uh, chemical elements table, if you remember that from high school chemistry. <laughs> uh, and uh, they are made, it, it is made up of those key words for kind of a leadership framework. And pillars of uh, learning and teaching. So let's, um, let's dive into that a little bit. I, I guess first, let me maybe come at this from sort of the top of the mountain. When you see executives that have already risen up an organization, but they maybe have hit some kind of lid in their own sensibility about their capacity, what do you think are some of the first indicators that start to tip them off that they might need some help. They might need some coaching. I would say burnout is one. So a lot of people try to just work harder. So, Hey, I've worked hard in the past and that's gotten me far. And they try to do the same things they were doing before. And sometimes you reach these tipping points where what got you here, isn't going to get you there type of thing. And so they're trying the same things over and over and it's not working and they're not getting any traction or improvement. And so that's one one key. And um, I say that as you move up the ladder, so to speak, the time you want to spend on technical skills goes down and the time you want to spend cultivating leadership skills go up. So as you move from director to VP to C-suite, the time you need to spend on cultivating your leadership style and becoming good at decision-making and becoming good at interpersonal communication with others and making a very few high-quality decisions goes up and that's where your focus needs to be. So when you see yourself getting pulled into these things that 12 other people on your team can do, or you're deep diving into something where, where that's not your area of expertise and you are avoiding or ignoring the things that only you can do in your role or by your authority or, or whatnot, um, that's where I see people kind of struggle to make the jump or make the leap to their next level. Yeah. I, I would agree with you, and I do talk about this a lot with, with folks, that we have this interesting tradition in modern business. We have an organization, we look out on the, I'll call it the shop floor, and we see a team of people that all of a sudden need some kind of supervisor. So what do we do? We pick the best producer, the best contributor, mm -hmm. the, the smartest engineer, the best technician, best accountant, whatever you want, whatever the job scope is, we, we tend to pick them off the front line and say, ta-da, you're the manager. And um, they may or may not figure that out. And in many cases, what I've seen happen is the only thing that gets accomplished is the uh, ruining of a good contributor. 
Yes, it's a huge inflection point for people. So it's one of the biggest jumps you'll make in your career. And you're absolutely right. I mean, just because you're a high performing individual contributor, which is great, that's all well and great. It does not mean it does not equal good people management and you can run a team. Those are two entirely different skill sets. And so um, senior managers who are making those decisions need to be aware of that. And one, yes, you may want to pull out your best performer, but at least give them the training and the support and resources that they need to be successful in their in their new role. But yes, trying to do the exact same thing you did at that level when you first make that jump to management is, is a recipe for disaster. So, and, the, and then the next, in the progression of things, the next step that people hit is that other dynamic you mentioned. They think that if I work hard on the technical things that I'm, my team is responsible for, they are often rewarded with another promotion. So they move up. So it's kind of this positive reinforcement of a choice that gets made. And maybe that happens two or three iterations, but pretty soon the organization is expecting that person to shift, to make that shift you described, to become more of a strategic leader and less of a tactical one. And that becomes another kind of inflection point for individuals because moving away from that technical expertise, that was their comfort zone. And now you're, you're kind of going out to the edge of things, at least in your own sense of ability, you're, you're going out to the edge and you don't know what that's like out there. Right. And I, I would say to people, one of the biggest mindset shifts you can make that will help you is my success doesn't derive from what I can personally do. My success now derives from what my team can do and what I can get my team to do. And so if your team is successful, which means every individual person on that team needs to be at their best, that makes you successful. So that's a mindset shift. And the one of the best examples around this I love to share is, let's say, um, as an individual contributor, you were directly responsible for mowing five lawns. You're in a lawn mowing business and you were mowing five lawns. So you know exactly how to cut the grass, the edges, you know how long it takes, you know the ins and outs of those five lawns. Then you get promoted and all of a sudden you are accountable for 500 lawns being mowed in the same amount of time. So you cannot possibly mathematically do all 500 yourself. You have to build a team and a process, um, a repeatable consistent process to get the lawns mode. So it's not, I cut the grass, it's the grass got cut and making that shift as well. Yeah. That's a, that's a great word picture and, and so easy to visualize and, and think about what else do you think impacts an individual's ability to make that shift to, to be that more effective leader and, and not just doer? There's a couple of common ones I'll call out. One is I can do it better than anyone else, mm. which at a point in time might be the truth. It might be very true. Yes, I can do that faster. I can do that better. Johnny, just back off. Let me handle that. I'll take this one. But you're not empowering Johnny to do that in the future. You're not giving him the room to make some mistakes or figure it out on his own or perhaps find a better way to do it. Um, than you did. And so I can do it better is something I commonly hear. I just want to jump in there, Emily, because I know I can do it faster. I know I can do it better, which might be true, but it's not always the best answer. So that's one. Um, another common one is if I don't do that myself, 
where does my value derive from? Because I was rewarded for being able to make this many widgets or do this many things as an individual performer. And that's where I got all my kudos, all my praise, all my promotions from. And if I don't jump in there and do it and I'm supposed to let other people do it, like how am I valuable now? And so again, it, it goes back to the mindset piece of my success comes from my team, but that's really hard to shake people out of sometimes. Well, and and closely related to that one is just the basic problem-solving demand. Managers are the ones that are supposed to make the decisions to solve problems. And at many levels, and, and probably arguably all the way up to the top, that's true. However, to your point, somewhere in that dynamic, that manager, leader, and ultimately executive leader needs to be building up a team that can is capable of doing those things. And while they individually might have developed a very good thought process full of solid critical thinking to get to an answer for a problem, they need to demonstrate that and model that for others to learn, not just get to the answer. Yeah, absolutely. Training and empowerment is is key. And I think you mentioned team building. So there's so many things to say about that. But one of my favorite is you get to design the team to where it performs the best. So instead of saying, hey, how do I do my individual job the best? You're now in charge of the team and you say, what skill sets do we need on the team? So if you're recruiting or hiring, you might recruit or hire for a specific skill set that you need. Um, is there someone that I can train up who, you know, they, they weren't brought in for this, but they got moved into this role. Let me help them out and uh, get them a more well, well-rounded skill set. Um, are certain people good folks and they're, they should be in the company. We want them on the team, but they're not on the right seat on the bus so to speak. Maybe they should be less client-facing or more client-facing or or what have you. And so all of those things become in your realm as a first-time manager that are under your charge. And so you need to look at how do I optimize the team? Yeah, that that is so critically important. And uh, I have um, kind of adopted a a challenge to to my clients, especially if they invite me to kind of shadow them during a team meeting or something, will look at a situation and inevitably somebody on the team brings up a problem and, and sort of lays it out on the table. And traditionally, the whoever the senior person is that I'm working with, they'll kind of dive immediately into solving the problem. And I'll always ask them, are you solving the problem or are you leading your team to do the problem solving? And, you know, the answer is always no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I'm not leading. I'm, I am, I went into that, that gear of working hard and doing what I know how to do versus that mindset of developing that successful team that accrues my value as a leader. So right. I, I like your way of saying that. And I think what you said is so important too. You want people with the same or similar values as as you or the team or the company, but very different skill sets. And so that's a great way to look at recruiting or training um, processes is, you know, we want people who fit culture-wise, who are kind of with us on our mission, have the same values, have integrity in how they do their work, but have very different skill sets. And you as a leader should be leading by example. So they should look at you and say, okay, 
this is what the company holds up as uh, the embodiment of a leader and someone who does well and how you get ahead. And so you need to espouse all those things and you need to not only tell people what you expect of them, but show them um, that in your own you know, work ethic and work product and how you treat people and how you treat customers and all of those things. Because believe me, your team is watching you. Your team is watching you more closely than you think. And they're taking their cues from you. And they're saying, well, if Emily does that, then I can do that. If Emily cuts corners, then I can probably do that too. Or no, 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 she wants this done right. We need to go back and start over and make sure it's it's good for the customer. So all of those things people pick up on, people watch you. They they see who you know you play favorites with or not. They see who you give preferential treatments with. They see if you know, you're a morning person and wait till she has her coffee before we talk to her, or if you can jump right in. So all of, all of those things, uh, you're, you're being watched in a good way, but you're being yeah. watched. Yeah, for sure. You're that, that is the plight of anyone in a leadership role. You, you are being watched and it, it does matter how you show up in the moment to, to help gauge that. And, you know, I was thinking as you were describing all of that, there's another sort of phenomenon, I guess I'll call it or principle that I've come to embrace. And that is that if you can, and and you and your company can do a reasonably good job, keywords there, reasonably good job of hiring and selecting employees. I know that's a big if, but if you can do a reasonably good job of selecting that team you've hired wants to do the right thing. Inherently they want, to do the right thing if if they're skilled and highly educated technicians or if they're just lawn cutters go you know go back and i don't mean any disrespect by saying just lawn cutters in contrast to some higher education but if they're there to do that job they fundamentally want to do the right thing so it's incumbent on the leader to define those expectations define what the next right thing can be because if the leader fails to set that standard or set that vision, the people are going to freeze. They're not necessarily going to do something wrong. They're just not going to do anything because they're afraid of doing something wrong. They don't know what right is, so they're afraid of what's wrong, so they don't do anything. Yes, I've walked into new teams where literally you can palpably feel the culture. People have their heads down, they're scrunched up, they don't make eye contact. And then you kind of get to know the leadership. And if someone does something wrong, they get berated and or fired on the spot. And it's like, okay, no kidding. Of course, people are going to react like this. So they're going to follow steps one through 10, rinse and repeat over and over. And if something deviates, they're not going to be able to adjust or think for themselves or be proactive. And you want the opposite thing. So um, if someone makes a mistake, which inevitably people will do, we're all human, right? That is a leadership moment. And that's a very important one because no one likes coming to the boss and saying, hey, I messed up. It's very vulnerable and it's, oh no, what's going to happen? So if you can say, all right, let's resolve the problem. Number one, let's get the client taken care of or what have you. Um, and then make sure that if, if a decision was made or an action was taking, taken with good intent and they were trying to be proactive and they're trying to be helpful, you make sure to say, hey, I need you to keep doing that. That happens. That's okay. Happens to everyone. Um, let's take a look at what could have prevented this um, next time or maybe how we can do this differently going forward. But I need you to keep 
being proactive and keep um, making those decisions and make a point of that. So I think that's uh, that's really critical. Um, another great point you made is everyone should know um, how to move forward. And there's this military term, which you may know about, which is called the commander's intent. And in the military, um, a commander needs to make sure all of his lieutenants and sergeants and soldiers know what he or she is intending to do, what the mission is, what the overall goal is. Because if he gets killed or wounded or communication lines get cut and he's not there to order the soldiers around, everyone needs to be able to step up and move the mission forward. And so in a business, you can apply that same principle, obviously with different uh, impacts, but does your team know your commander's intent? Does your team know what you're trying to do? Conversely, if you're on someone's team, do you know what your leader is trying to do? Do you know what the department or the business unit you're in, do you know what their function is and how to help that move forward? And so um, any anyone listening now, if you're a leader or on a team, ask yourself that question. And if you don't know the answer, get clarity on it. Or if you don't think your team would know the answer, if you went around and asked them, make sure they're clear on it. Yeah, keyword there, clarity. And I, I am a big fan of that. I learned a phrase a while back. It says a confused mind says no. <laughs> and, yes, it does. Um, I think if, if we're all honest with ourselves, we think about a moment when we needed to make a decision or needed to make a choice or needed to do something. If we were confused on the matter, we tended to say, no, I'm not going to do that or I'm, I'm not going to make that choice. And I think that's true with our uh, teams, our employees around us, we have to be the ones providing that clarity and that understanding. And again, it goes back to my point about the um, kind of freeze in place. If, um, if that clarity is not there and people don't know what the next right thing is supposed to be, they're fundamentally going to freeze. And I, as I was teaching that in a group one time, somebody fed it back to me and they, they called it the microwave principle. And I said, well, <laughs> They said, well, take that big casserole out of the freezer and pop it in the microwave. And what inevitably happens, you get all this bubbly hot goo on the outside and around the edges. But when you finally stick a fork in the middle, it's still uh, frozen solid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that describes good size organizations. And it can be pertinent, not just to the rank and file employee, but it can apply to middle management. If if upper management is not crystal clear, middle management is going to freeze in place and create for you that frozen middle in your organization. And you're going to wonder why things aren't moving forward. You've got all this talented people in this huge payroll you're looking at on your budget and wondering why things aren't getting done. Well, it's probably back on you. You haven't provided the clarity these talented people need to move forward. Right. I think there can be a lot of daylight in between what happens strategically at the high level up in an ivory tower and then down to the person who actually has to do it on the ground. And so making sure the communication and the clarity and the intent of what you're trying to do makes its way to, to middle management for sure. And so they can effectively and accurately convey what's what's trying to be done down to their team and their folks is really, really important. So that information flow up and down the organization is very important. Yeah, so, so true, so true. Well, Emily, this has been great. I think we're up to a break point here. We're going to take a quick minute. Um, 
share a message from a sponsor, and then we're going to be right back. Hang with us. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. Uh, this is Leadership Powered by Common Sense, and I'm talking today with Emily Sanders. She is also an executive coach and has some uh, great work experience. We were talking when we took the break about the, uh, I loved her words, she said daylight in between what goes on in the C-suite with the high-level strategy and the bubbling down through the organization. And it, it reminded me of an experience I had working with a large global brand, who on the one hand, uh, the C-suite leadership team had the foresight to call a shot that said their legacy culture, their leadership framework of the past was not going to be suitable for the new work, new, more modern workforce and positioning them as an industry leader for the next 20 years. So big commission was studied to create this new framework, forward-looking uh, a lot of great words and effort went into it. And as soon as they began rolling it out, they realized that bubbling it down the organization through the various levels of management, they immediately ran into the roadblock that those words in that framework didn't mean the same to everybody. It, 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 it created, we, we talked about clarity in the first part of the show. It, it created a, a confusion, not a clarity of what the new framework was going to be about. So there had to be a whole step in this change management of trying to align on what the meaning of those words really was and, and what did that mean to individual work teams. So um, what, what kind of experience along that line have you run into, Emily? Words mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And words are great, but they have different meanings, connotations, given different contexts. They can kind of sway people different ways. And so um, having things like a mission statement or, hey, here's the change that's going out is great. Uh, and, and taking the time to really make sure that your intent um, and the full understanding is landing to the audience or landing to the listener in the way that it's intended. And so one kind of big picture macro level theme to keep in mind is when you're making announcements or when you're making changes like this, take the time up front to really communicate that well to your entire staff. And you've thought about it the most and you've, you know, drawn that out, brainstormed and all the research and things like this, but understand that it might be the first time that someone's hearing about it on your team or, or perhaps on, on their team. And so you need to treat it like it's brand new information because it is. And a lot of times it's chunking that information up into bite-sized pieces and not, you know, Tommy gunning, Tommy gunning it out uh, to someone. So they're like, Oh, rat -tat -tat -tat. they're trying to take all this information in and it's brand new. There could be an emotional charge to it. If you're saying, Hey, we're swinging your department over here or we're changing your entire role over there. Um, so, so building in time, up front to spend really communicating that to your direct team, perhaps um, the larger company as a whole, 
knowing that it'll save you efficiencies and effectiveness down the line. Because if you don't do that, you're going to have to clarify yourself at some point, but the damage will already have been done. And so building that time in upfront takes extra time, but it's well worth it. So that's that's a one theme that I put out there. And then yes, at a tactical and practical level, uh, make sure the words that you're using, you know, if that means something to me, maybe soundboard with your team. Hey, if I say this in front of your group, are they going to take this some other unintended way? You know, what's the best way to position this and tee this up so it, it's received and lands most effectively for your crew? Things like that can go a long way as well. Yeah, and anytime there is a statement of change, a, a communication indicating change that immediately launches everybody into uh, uh, something I've seen described as the S curve of change. And if you think about a simple, not fancy script, but a simple printed S, if you start down at the tail, what's the first thing that happens? Well, the trend is going downward. It, it dips. And that's really what change events do. Our organizations will dip a bit during the launch of a change moment. Our, our minds and our hearts will kind of start questioning. There'll be some doubt. There'll be some of that confusion. Some would go so far as to call it a, a moment of chaos where you don't have answers to all that. And, you know, the people that do change management, they talk about storming, norming, conforming, you know, yeah. all of that. Well, during that storming phase, it's pretty chaotic and your productivity might actually dip a little bit. But then as work teams sort of assimilate the change and start learning and understanding, they sort of start climbing back up that curve. And pretty soon you have this revelation that this is really a good deal. It, it, it's really smart. It can work well. So there's actually a level of excitement that causes a little bit of a bounce. That's why you get the peak in the S, but then it, there'll be a little bit of a tailing off back to the, whatever the new normal becomes. So what you were describing is you said something about the leader who's been percolating in that change for a while has done their own version of journey across and through that S curve. So now they're ready to roll it out to the masses. Well, they're up at the peak. They've had their revelations and they've solved right. all their chaos. So now they're excited. They want to, you know, rally the troops and they get them in an assembly room, meeting room of some sort. They roll this thing out and they don't understand why people are. Everyone just, goes down in their dip. Yeah. Everybody starts their journey down to that dip first. And the executive's standing there going, what's wrong with you people? Come on. This is great. Right, don't yeah. you see it? Yeah. Can't you see it? So there's a, there's a phenomenon of, of those S curves kind of sequentially lining up depending on who and where you are in the organization. And a good leader is going to be sensitive to that. And they're going to lead their people through the journey on that S curve and not, um, not just bullwhip them through the, and try to get them up to the peak by saying, don't why, why don't you get this? <laughs> Yeah. Meet people where they're at and let them, you know, you as a leader can minimize that initial dip by yep. getting good information out there and kind of meeting them where they're at. But yeah, I love that, that uh, visual of the S curve. Yes. They're on the, they're on the peak going rah, rah, rah. And everyone's plummeting down to their initial dip. So their it's initial a depths of doubt yeah. and question <laughs> and, and somewhat chaos of, uh, of trying to work that out. 
When uh, you go into organizations, again, I'll ask, maybe it's the same question I started this show with, uh, is, is there a common entry point? Is there a common problem you're being asked to help people solve? It varies, to be honest. So I have clients who come to me for for very short engagements, such as interview prep is probably my my shortest one. So, hey, I have an interview in two weeks. Can we prep for it? And then I've had a client for three years, and it was transitioning um, her from uh, a very operational um, doer, as she said, to a more strategic uh, executive. And that came with the tactical and practical pieces with how you relate to people with mindset and all those, and all those things. Um, but, but I think uh, a common denominator that goes into all of my engagements are is the mindset piece. And so I use the analogy of a contact lens. And in real life, you know, contact lens, you put it on your eye, you forget it's there. Yet everything that you're seeing and taking in experience experiencing is being filtered through that contact lens. So if you had a colored contact lens like blue, everything would be tinted blue. If you switched it to yellow, everything would have a yellow hue. In the same way, your values and beliefs and thoughts are your contact lens that you're wearing every day. And so taking inventory of, hey, how, what is my filter when I go into this team meeting? Or what are my bias, biases when I'm making this type of decision? Or, ooh, I got really triggered right there. So, you know, why did I have this angry outburst? Um, and intellectually, I know that wasn't the right thing to do. So one of the things that I often do is work with people on, hey, you know, how self-aware are you? Can you be thoughtful about the, the lens that you're looking at your world through? And also the kind of fun part about this is if someone goes, oh, I have that old belief or that old thought that served me well 5, 10, 15 years ago, but it doesn't anymore. Let me set that down and put on a new contact lens, something that serves me better for this phase of my career, for this phase of my life, for this role that I'm in. Um, and that can just change people's worlds because literally everything that you're experiencing and everything you're taking in can change just from changing your contact lens, so to speak. So that it, it start over here. <laughs> it is, it is a little bit about reframing your own view of things and uh, taking time periodically to reassess, you know, have you gotten yourself in a frame of thinking that, is not working anymore or is relying too much on old views and old values. And maybe there is some learning that has happened that has just not been given full impact to help modify and adjust those views. Um, I had a client the other day, we were talking, there's a major opportunity coming in their market. Um, and it's not a, quick and easy kind of solution. It's pretty seismic. And he was sharing his own personal view that maybe the company wasn't ready to take that on just because of some legacy mindsets about uh, management principles, organizational structure, levels of responsibility, all of those kinds of things. And he was saying it felt like Maybe they were getting ready to go into square peg and round hole territory, trying to hammer a solution out for this new and wonderful opportunity, but using old mindsets and methods to get there. Right. 
And I, you know, during COVID, I knew someone who was was in a job that he had been in for a very long time. He had deep background in their family, did that same job, and he lost his job due to COVID. And he was the breadwinner for his family. And he was very focused on, I must get this type of job back. I, that's what I do. That's what I must do. That's how I support my family. And of course, it was very unsettling and very scary. And he actually took the leap to go start a series of, of gyms. Uh, he was into fitness as well and, and all of those things. And so he learned how to set up a gym and uh, he created this whole new entrepreneurial side to things. And that has boomed and he has um, freedom over his schedule and he gets to run his business and it's very lucrative, in fact, more lucrative than his previous job. And so that's an example there. Something big like that where maybe something is... Um, presented to you from the market or from a global pandemic where you're kind of forced to make a change. Um, and it can also be little things too, or relatively smaller things. Like if you're going into a team meeting, I've worked with folks who tell me, Emily, I, I get so nervous for team meetings and I'm so bad at them. And I go, okay, like, tell me about what happens when you're going into a team meeting. And they go, well, I'm sitting there going, I'm horrible with people. I'm a bad communicator and I don't add anything of value. And I'm like, okay, so if you're saying those things to yourself on repeat right before you go into a team meeting, how you show up in that team meeting is, is going to go one direction. If instead you say, I am good with people, I contribute a lot to this team, I'm on this team for a reason, and what I say um, matters and it can help someone, your experience in that team meeting is going to be very different. Um, and so that's just a, a small example of how you can switch your contact lens. And some folks go, Emily, I, I can't get that far. Like that's just fake to me. In which case an interim step is bring it to neutral. If you're saying crappy things and negative things to yourself, just stop saying them and just say, hey, I'm going into a team meeting <laughs> and just stick with the facts and stay there. But the, the stagger step to eventually getting to your replacement thoughts and thoughts that are going to serve you well um, is the ultimate goal. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, and that's very huge. And as you were describing that and some of the thought patterns and talking about not being comfortable in the meeting, I, I kind of, in my mind, I went straight over to the imposter syndrome that I hear uh, typically younger managers, but occasionally you'll be surprised at the very senior managers that will admit that uh, you know, upon, you know, kind of some breakthrough prodding. <laughs> coaching and prodding, um, it, you know, you get promoted or moved into a situation. And on the one hand, you might be excited about the opportunity and certainly excited about the financial gain that might come with it. But yet when, you know, everything is settled down, you're looking in the mirror going, wow, dude, do they understand what little I know about this job and, <laughs> and uh, what I'm doing here? So what kind of advice do you like to give people when they go that direction? Yeah. The first thing I'll say is the vast majority of people have had some experience with imposter syndrome. And so sometimes you think I'm the only one having this. And in fact, you are not. So just that awareness in itself really, really helps. Um, and I, I completely understand uh, what you're saying. I am in this chief of staff kind of mastermind group. Um, and one person brought up, Hey, how does, how do people deal with imposter syndrome? And there was kind of like silence for a little bit. And then people started perking up saying, Oh my gosh, like I do that too. Like you have that as well. Like you do. And so we were all saying, okay, everyone, everyone has this. So number one, just because you're looking at these different 
very professional, seasoned leaders who look like they don't have a care in the world, they could in fact be dealing with that as well. So that's number one. Um, number two, it's really focusing and training your brain. And again, mindset, thoughts, contact lens on the things you can control and the things that you are doing well. And again, might be a stair step like, hey, I am learning how to lead uh, a team well. I'm learning how to lead a sales organization. And so if you can't get to like, I am the best sales leader in the world right now, that's fine. But at least give yourself credit for, hey, I'm learning how to lead a sales organization and um, put those thoughts uh, first and foremost in your mind. Um, I think if you don't feel a sense of that, like a little sense of that, you're doing something wrong in my opinion. So imagine if you, if you stayed in an environment where you never felt any sense of imposter syndrome. Well, then you're sitting still and you're not doing anything with your life because right. putting yourself out there, being one step outside of your comfort zone, which I call your growth edge and trying something new, you're doing something for the first time. So it's very unlikely you're going to be perfect at it. And that is okay. And that's okay. It's a mark of progress that you're actually doing that. So I would get very, um, either comfortable with that feeling or comfortable ignoring that feeling and saying, hey, that's coming up, that's being offered to me, but I have every right to ignore it. And I'm going to focus on the things that I do control and that I do well and just proceed on that path because that's going to make me a successful person overall. I like it. Very good. Well, Emily, this has been great. I think we're up on the end here. So tell people the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. Certainly. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. So Next Level Emily. And I also have a website with a lot of free resources for people. Um, you can check out there. It's nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. Well, we will have all that information in the show notes. And I want to remind everybody, if you're listening on audio streaming, that we will have a video version of this over on the YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And again, Emily, uh, one last time, thank you so much. This has been great. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you, Doug. So folks, we're going to wrap this one up and thank you for listening in. We look forward to hearing from you again. I hope that uh, the discussion today has helped enlighten you to maybe encourage you to at least take an inventory of where your mindset is right now. And Think about opportunities you've got for uh, turning some things around or, or changing your thinking a little bit so that you can be a more effective leader and that you can find more common sense solutions to the things you're fighting right now. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.